Jason Connerly has a request for a song. Therefore, we indulge him. This song was the ETU fight song performed at Trooper Cobbercon by Death Clock. Fight, Ravens fight, put on the black and white. Fight, Ravens fight, we'll win that game tonight. Death Clock. Hey, Carl, thank you for the detailed answer on the Raiders game. I appreciate that. I, I can see why you would like that. Um, yeah, it doesn't appeal to me. I would use Stick with Call of Cthulhu or go to Savage Worlds. I, I don't see a need for something in the middle. But I, I'm more and more not liking having 25 different game systems I'm running in because it's a pain in the ass. But I do appreciate your, your review of it. I, I th- think the detail you gave definitely answered my question. And no doubt you're going to force me into playing it at some point. So I will probably have a better idea after I played against my will. So thank you, and I'm going to listen to the rest of your podcast now. Wow, Jason, that was a fast response to the call. So I am giving you a fast response to your fast response. So what was kind of cool is I was looking at reviews for Raiders of Ryla, actually after I put down my answer, and it says it's it actually runs akin more akin to Mithras, so... So it really is uh, kind of leans heavily on sort of the Mithras uh, engine, um, and it tries to adapt it or it adapts it to um, this time period, a more modern time period. Most of the Mithras stuff is fantasy or set in a mythical real world place. So um, I don't remember seeing a lot of that that kind of um, detail in the Mithras stuff, but maybe maybe the combat or the skills um, kind of align with, with what Mithras is like, as opposed to Call of Cthulhu. I do like, I mean, I, I mean, I always pick and choose and pluck things from one system or another, especially in a percentile game, one can do that. So, so maybe it might be easier to say, okay, well, I'm going to, or to remember to add or subtract bonuses from skills depending on the situation, depending on how you guys kind of um, role play into it or detail. Like I say, you go into a room and you detail how you're casing the, the, the room, and how you're, you're turning it over or whatever, then I give you a bonus, um, like a plus 20 making it easier for you. Or if you take your time, then you should get a bonus. Um, so kind of incorporate some of these little details and suggestions from the book into our ongoing games instead of you know, revamping every single game, which is clearly not ideal, but it does seem pretty neat. And um, I do like, I've always preferred, and I've run Call of Cthulhu, in my opinion, more Howardian um, as opposed to Lovecraftian. So more action adventure, um, give the characters a chance. They can defeat um, the creature, the elder, whatever, um, instead of running away and passing out and then waking up days later, uh, trying to remember what happened. Hey, Carl, Jason, the Rat Pack here. Great episode. Really enjoyed your session recaps. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you say you could lose at RPGs. The point is to have fun. And if you can't enjoy your characters getting killed, then I don't know what to tell you. Um, people die all the time. Characters die all the time. 
you, you can't want verisimilitude and grittiness and granularity without breaking a couple hit characters' heads. What can I say? And especially when you talk about a game like Warhammer Fantasy, it's supposed to be a gritty, deadly world, right? Um, I think characters belong to the game, not to the players. So if a player doesn't show up to a game, then that character is, you know, definitely open to be used as an NPC. But to be fair, it sounds like Kevin's policies aren't new, so everybody kind of knew what the deal was. Actually, I should have been more clear. I didn't mind the character death. My character was dying anyway. I mean, there is, unless you use GM, GM Fiat and Fate Points, there is no way mathematically it seemed he could survive you know the the green pox right so he was going to die or at least i mean if you're a player with a terminal disease or you're a character with a terminal disease in a game i mean his is the dwarf his mentality i'm going to go down fighting so i guess what i was disappointed with was that we lost and that we didn't defeat this guy even after i died if my death had been had helped with that and i had died that would have been glorious. That's fine. But uh, I guess I was upset that we didn't succeed in the task, which was taking out this guy and preventing the perversion of the Grail Chapel and his ascendance to a uh, warrior of chaos. Um, that was my, that's why I was upset. Um, but there was really nothing I could do about it because my character made the decision to charge this guy and try to fight and act as a holding while the other characters hopefully succeeded in the task, but uh, they did not either. So um, that's what happened. And I think, you know, shoot, I, I feel like the Ash Valeria is a, is a aberrate, aberrant. Usually I play my characters, if, especially if they're up front beat them ups they charge into things. If they're ranged types like rangers or scouts then they you know support fight um i take action i guess that's what it is you know i want to as a player i want to take action but uh you know you can only decide what you can do for yourself right so and you hope that other players um get that and press but uh people play their characters differently they're more sometimes they're more cautious you know and uh they want to survive instead of um succeed i guess that's the best way to put it and i mean no fault on kevin you know we roll on the table he rolled on the table the dice just weren't with gorill um in that case and but i knew it you know i knew that going in there was a high chance that i would die a slim chance of survival but he was a dead man walking anyway, in my opinion. And that was cool. That was the cool part. Um, I guess it's just uh, maybe it's better if we talk about this privately, Jason. But uh, there are other reasons. But And I'm still debating whether I want to continue. But uh, Kevin has communicated with us his plan. Of course, we're going to take some time off. I think they're going to jump into playing Death Watch, which I will, you know, step out and let someone else join and experience uh, Kevin Madison's fantastic GM-ship. Um, and then I don't know when we're getting back to Warhammer Fantasy, but we'll see. It'll be some time. I mean, I get to play Warhammer Fantasy 
every other week. And we're doing fourth edition. Um, and again, fourth edition can be just as deadly downward spiral. We experienced that in the Talibheim adventure um, where once you get injured, it's, it's the suck. Um, you get overwhelmed very rapidly and can definitely die. And we had one perma permadeath in that game where the character decided not to use fate points. And I guess maybe because they were like dwarves and elves don't start off with as many fate points. I think if he had spent a fate point, he would have like none um, for rerolls, right? So he's, I guess, maybe decided what was the point. And then the other player was a human who had multiple, like maybe three or four fate points. So he spent one to survive, even though he uh, rolls as written fell to his death. But rolls as written also say you can permanently spend a fate point to miraculously survive. So he was jacked up, sure. He lost some uh, abilities, permanent ability score somewhere, somehow, but uh, survived. So, and surprisingly, none, I'm shocked that none of the other characters died during the campaign. Um, they all got pretty close. And even in this last game, we've had, you know, uh, in the last fight, we had um, unconsciousness, or players get knocked to unconsciousness and have to spend points to make sure they don't die. Um, right? So I think he spent, there's a meta currency called Resolve that re, resolve that removes a condition. Um, and if you spend it permanently, it's resilience, but if you spend it, you can, so he was on fire, so he spent a resolve to make sure he, uh, before, one to stay conscious and then another one to remove the fire uh, the condition of being on fire um so then he passed out and then the other player said stop spending to stay up if you don't stay up or if you continue to fight you will likely be killed so that was a player's decision with the advice of the others uh, to stay unconscious so um yeah that's what can happen so I, like I said, Kevin has given us the option, and we have the fate points to do so, um, to survive. So we'll see what the decision will be. But again, it's not dying um, that upset me in that game. It's a losing, losing the, not succeeding in the task. Perhaps that's a good reason to do something like we've talked about with the Ash game of separating treasure and, and figuring out how the treasure is divided before the end of the session so we don't end up with the next session where somebody doesn't show up and we can't access their their treasure. That may be a result of some of the players in the Ash game having played in Kevin's games. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you guys could keep playing that world. I don't think – I, I don't know. I, I don't view character death as negative as a lot of people do because – you know, these are games, and I'm a social gamer. I don't get as attached to my people, um, especially when the GM makes me play characters I don't want to play. The Lankmar game sounds great. I look forward to the live playing of it at the first RichterCon. Yeah, actually, I think I had implemented that like a couple sessions back where I had a bunch of extra stuff, and I said, hey, let's distribute this out. So I distributed a potion of flying and a potion of gaseous form so we could use it tactically or other people could use it tactically. Um, so I thought that was a great idea that you suggested in your in our Ash game that we play together. And then I did that in, uh, in the Ash game um, that I play on the Saturdays, the Reavers of Tule. 
And what sucks, though, is this, last, this past uh, session, it, it would have been cool to have two, two flying ranged people, but the other person who had the other potion of flying and the potion of gaseous form did not show up. So, you know, it's kind of a thing, you know. Uh, you definitely are hamstrung when people don't show up. I guess that's the bottom line. And Lankmar is a very cool system. I would love to really run it. We should do it. I mean, partially because it's DCC, right? It, which I really like. And it's a, I guess it has some really different mechanics here and there, which uh, are more add-ons, right? Optional, but um, it'd be really cool to play. I mean, it would be cool to play the funnel and work our way through the through a campaign, but I know you guys don't like funnels in DCC, but if we promised maybe a long-term campaign where it would, just wouldn't be a funnel, that could be kind of fun. By the way, Carl, if any of my messages came off antagonistic, I apologize. I appreciate you. I appreciate you running the games that you do. I enjoy playing with you. And no offense was meant. Hey, Jason, I definitely don't mind contrary opinions. And I don't think your posts are antagonistic for the most part, except when you get in your sarcastic mode. But that might be after... Uh, a few beers or some shots of whiskey, which is okay. What I don't like, and you don't do this actually, but I've realized what I don't like, even though ironically I might, I do this maybe more often than I should, is people being dismissive. And what I mean by that is like, oh, you know, not giving a reason, not saying something good about a, pro a product or a style of play and just say, oh, it's boring or that's bad, wrong, fun, and I really hate dismissiveness, and it annoys, starting to annoy the shit out of me. Again, it's ironic, because I'm sure I do it, um, and I gotta fix that in my own uh, way I handle things, uh, not just in games, but uh, in life in general, right? So, but I, no need to apologize for being contrary. Um, I don't think you're being antagonistic, um, but then again, maybe, like I said, you, you, haven't, had, you haven't had that bottle of rum yet. Yo, Carl, you asked a few questions there at the end, so let's see what I can get. Uh, as far as the last part of that question, if there was a player who was only there for one session, do you keep that character around? Nope, I'd be done with them. I'd figure out a way to get rid of them. If they said, yeah, I'm not coming back, yeah, I got no interest in that character sticking around. Um, as far as someone playing my character, sure. If I gave them permission and I was pretty confident that they wouldn't do something stupid with my character, I'd, I'd be fine with that. I'd be a little bummed out if they die, if they killed off my character. I have, uh, I have an emotional scar from when that happened a long time ago. Uh, and then as far as, uh, running a, running a PC when the player isn't there, uh, I don't know. It depends on how many people you have at your table. I got a pretty small table usually just three players, so that situation doesn't arise all that much. But I guess if the other player was cool with it, I wouldn't care, I guess. Peace out. And that's why I'd love to play, I love to play in Joe Richter's games and would want to sit at the table that Joe Richter plays at. Um, I think that's a, a fair decision. I mean, probably something now to include or talk about in a session zero before you start a game what are the expectations 
you don't want to put players in any obligate sense of obligation because that just doesn't sit well. It seems like, yeah, you want commitment, but you don't want them to feel obligated. I think there's a fine line there. And uh, I don't think there's anything wrong personally with, you know, especially on the VTT where you have access to all the characters and you can grant access if needed. Um, let the, you know, the, uh, the people don't aren't there, let their characters uh, be temporarily NPCs and the players can decide whether they want to use those resources or not. Uh, they're part of the party. It's not like a West Marches style game where you're in a, you know, town and they just kind of fade into the background and you start a new adventure every single time. I mean, you could do that in certain games, I would say like Savage World. Um, and Savage World honestly is a little more conducive to, um, I mean, actually that's not true. I, I don't even say want to say that. I think in a drop-in, drop-out West Marches style game, you can really tailor the game to the number of players that you have at the time, right? And sure, there's some randomness involved and random elements if you want that kind of old-school type play and maybe the characters run afoul of something they can't chew. But, um, you know, that's expected in that West Marches style game. I think it's different in an ongoing game, the expectation. Anyway, thanks for the call, Joe. And we'll now get into a recap. Sometimes a game is a slow burn and not a rapid fire action fest. And last night's session of Twilight 2000, we played the fourth edition, was more of a slow kind of game. The survivors had settled in this valley uh, somewhere northeast, maybe 40 clicks northeast of Krakow, um, northwest of Krakow, sorry. Uh, they're trying to get there to um, turn over these papers that they found um, at an ambush site. A um, American convoy of U.S. 20th Special Forces had been ambushed. It was pretty severe. There was one survivor who only held on to pass on his message um, so, you know, his plot armor faded as he gave his, delivered his death message. Um, but the characters found these plans to help uh, restart the world, and maybe in their minds, that uh, it, it was plans for developing or rebooting computers that had been compromised with EMP pulses and making a second a generation of EMP-protected computers. So it's pretty important stuff as part of something called Operation Reset that I had actually given characters clues about when we first started the game maybe a month or six weeks ago. And they're still in the first phase to me of the game, the breakout phase after the devastating loss at the Battle of Kalitz against Soviet and Polish forces. Um, their um, division, 5th uh, Army, um, they were beaten up and broken apart into small units trying to GTFO. So uh, they've been going for, I would say, in game time, maybe about oh, a week, a little over a week. 
and they've traveled some maybe 120 kilometers from Kalitz uh, to the outskirts of Krakow. But uh, they needed some rest. They needed to uh, do some gathering of distillables for their still so they could refuel their vehicles and uh, get go hunting. And hunting was kind of fun. It's fun, kind of fun to just do these mechanics. Um, I, I'm not going to keep track of individual units of food. We decided I'm going to do like a, a, a black hack style resource management um, with regards to um, food and water and um, and also with regards to um, medical supplies, for example. Not ammo. I think ammo, you can be granular with ammo since it's individually kept track of individually um, and it's getting big the group is getting big this group of survivors uh they have, there's a player characters which number anywhere from three to five it seems i think i maybe had six once but then there are four uh, people that they rescued from that they found in the remnants of an ambush and they're recovering pretty well they're still um there's still three or so that were walking wounded but two of them are one another one's recovered to be able-bodied, um, but the the walking wounded to kind of help with the still and and setting up the camp light duty. One of which was miraculously saved and was the basis for the excursion to into Brajnia, um to get medical supplies and and blood transfusion equipment in the first place. So and it's pretty it's been pretty cool. I mean, it, again, it's a game about survival, not necessarily. Let's attack every Soviet position that we can. Um, and I think that's pretty neat. So they did some hunting. And uh, I think Amy's character led a hunting party a couple times. Uh, they stayed in this valley, I think, two and a half days. And took down a deer and a moose uh, and some grouse. You know, so they have plenty of food and meat. Uh, they've been able to collect water in this valley. There's like streams that come down from the mountains. So there's, that's good. And there's plenty of the forest. There's plenty of consumable earth distillables, um, organic material to, to throw in the still. They definitely wouldn't drink anything made from the still of pine trees, that's for sure, um, or pine cones. That would be probably pretty gross. Um, I have bad experiences with uh, vodka that has been uh, maybe flavored with either pepper or pine. I don't think there's any pine vodka. I'm just kidding. I guess I could make alcohol from that they do have a still i don't know they'd have to go through a process right cleaning process um i don't know i have to maybe i have to look at the chemistry of that if they want to have you know uh, some trade goods you know make their own label of flavored vodka pretty interesting um the other players uh so like while amy's character was doing medical during the day and hunting in the early evening um Jason's character, Sam, was leading the party to collect uh, consumables and then, you know, seeing to the maintenance of the vehicles, etc. So they were able to, you know, top off the bike as an emergency measure, top off Sam's truck. Um, Amy felt that the gas 66 didn't need any fuel because it's pretty, it's pretty efficient, surprisingly. Um, and then the, um, the APC is what is a gas guzzler, so they filled that as much as they could in the day that they spent. Um, our other player who was there, he his uh, character led a group um, along with the NPC Jonesy 
um, into a nearby town. They didn't see any lights in the town, and they were saying, like, oh, I guess maybe there's zombies in the town. And there might as well have been. The, the town looked like people were starving and sickly, and they discovered that it might have been hit as a secondary target. There's some you know, impact craters from howitzers, and there's definitely an idea, even though they didn't have the equipment, there's definitely this idea that there might be radiation sickness about abounding. And two, you know, both the NPC Jonesy and another of the NPCs that they had, they had saved. Actually, I really, that's one thing I need to do is codify the names. Uh, we've been doing it sort of as it is necessary. For example, um, I mean, so there are the four prison, the four um, people that they rescued before, and then a group of twelve prisoner, former prisoners. So four of them had typhoid, and they've all recovered um, from the typhoid. Although one is, was still kind of messed up, you know, from it, um, you know, a little like, you know, out out of it. I guess uh, we're still recover in the recovery phase, uh, but they all are clear of typhoid. Um, but there's those four, and then there's eight others, um, and we've only really named one, and that is a driver because that person is we've actually rolled for that person, and we named the driver uh, this time. Um, I don't remember his name honestly, but but one of the players has really taken it upon himself to get a roster together. So I'll have to like codify, I guess the other eleven or so, and this is I think this is a cool part of the game, and you know. Um, new player characters if they join can be drawn from that group unless they want to play one of the established uh, characters that you know the players haven't come back for a while or it doesn't seem like they're going to come back then they can take over one of those players permanently or make their own right and we'll fit them in as best we can but now we have a pool so if they're u.s soldiers um then it's kind of easy because they can just draw from that pool which would be cool you know they become from faceless to someone who participates and you know takes the reins, which is kind of neat. So um, when they just so that so a couple of characters got some radiation. Unfortunately, Jones he got some radiation sickness. So you know he actually took some damage and gained some rads. So that's probably in the long term. You know Jonesy. Uh, I don't know. The, the more you get exposed to radiation, the more susceptible you become to the damage that it imparts. So um, yeah, it's not it's not good, but it was interesting to kind of play around and check out what the radiation mechanic was and see what it's all about, which also helped. So um, the characters kind of laid low then for at least that evening. Um, it was nice to have like some heavy meat with the moose, and uh, turns out Sam is also a cook. He was able to butcher properly and cook everything well. I mean, it really depends on the survival aspect of the game. It really depends on how um, how detailed you want to be. But they do have rules for what happens if you don't eat cooked food. You know, you need to cook your food type of thing. So I'm eating that. So the next day, they did sort of take off towards Krakow, and they wanted to approach from the north part of the city. So they skirted another a town on the map called um, OJOW, Ojo. Uh, which actually, if they visit it, that might be a pretty cool thing, but they did not. Um, they came across a farm. Um, uh, Kasha, Amy's character, saw a face in the window, like a kid's face. So they stopped and they went to go see what was going on. 
It turns out these kids were there by themselves. Their family had gone to, their parents had gone to Krakow. It was unspecified how long they'd been gone, but it looked like they had left them plenty of food. And then as they decided that they were going to leave, they saw another truck uh, coming down from the north, which is not the direction of Krakow. And some um, men seeing the truck um, got out or approaching the farm, thinking that uh, this truck was part of the farm. But uh, Sam, with some quick action, uh, so Grunts jumped out of the truck. He's in the back of the truck, um, like the other player's character. He says, a uh, uh, ranger, uh, a, uh, I think he's a PFC. He's a ranger. He jumped out of the truck, told Kasha what was going on. Sam ran up to the door of the, of the farmhouse and had everyone jump in. And they spun around in the back of the barn um, to try to lure uh, these marauders, that's what they decided that they were. They were, didn't wear any standard uniforms, different, you know, in, insignia. Um, they spun around the barn to try to get their attention and lead them away from, from the kids, which seemed to work. Um, they, you know, they decided to play it cool and not shoot at them. Um, I mean, their APC, so their APC is about 300 yards away beyond the, the hill, um, because they, they kind of left the main convoy, the, you know, the Daz and the APC, to check out the farmhouse. So, so now we'll pick up next time where these marauders are going to chase, um, chase Sam in the truck. And Sam's goal is to lead them to the APC. They will get uh, lit up by Ronson on the 50 cal, one hopes. But we will see next time in Twilight 2000 Breakout.